0: Hello and welcome to the antiplatelet patient focused podcast series from Medthority with support from AstraZeneca. For further information or to learn more about antiplatelet therapies, please visit the antiplatelet learning zone at medthority.com. We now join Professor Robert Storey and Dr. Mark Banaka for a patient case discussion. Hello, welcome to this patient case discussion. Uh, my name is Rob Storey from Sheffield in the UK. I'm an interventional cardiologist with an interest in antithrombotic therapy and clinical trials. And it's my pleasure to introduce also Dr. Mark Bernaka, who will uh, now tell us about himself, Mark. Well,
1: thank you, Rob. It's an honor to be here. Uh, Mark Banaka, I'm a cardiologist and vascular medicine specialist in the United States at University of Colorado, director of vascular research, and also have a, an interest in antithrombotic therapies, and have had the pleasure of working with you on, on several important trials. So, so Thank you for uh, uh, including me today.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to do this with you, Mark. We've uh, been through some great times uh, developing new evidence, uh, and we're going to talk about some of that in this case discussion. So we're here we're focusing on antiplatelet therapy in the management of non-SD elevation, acute coronary syndrome. So I'm going to present a case of a 75-year-old female admitted to hospital with chest pain. And this was associated with increase in high sensitivity troponin T from initial uh, first measurement of 18 nanograms per liter, rising to 65 nanograms per liter at peak. This lady has a 15-year history of type 2 diabetes mellitus treated with metformin, citagliptin, as well as primary prevention with atorvastatin. Her renal function um, is estimated GFR 62. She has a hemoglobin uh, within the normal range at 122 grams per liter. Now, she undergoes invasive coronary angiography and This shows a severe proximal LAD stenosis extending uh, as a moderate disease into the mid-LAD, mild diffuse disease in the distal LAD, moderate stenosis at the origin of the non-dominant circumflex artery, mild to moderate diffuse disease in the dominant right coronary artery. So she has diffuse disease but a culprit within the proximal LAD. So, She's initiated on aspirin and ticagrelor with loading doses pending transfer to tertiary center to undergo coronary angiography and for coronary angiography she's treated with sequential drug-eluting stents in the proximal to mid-LAD with the mid-LAD stent being 2.75 millimeters by 18 millimeters and the proximal butting stent 3.0 by 26 millimeters and the angiographic result is excellent she didn't have any intravascular imaging um, and was discharged on aspirin ticagrelor metformin citagliptin dapagliflozin was added in uh, and atorvastatin was continued and ramipril was added in that one month follow-up no self-reported pain tolerating the medication and blood tests showing stable renal function and hemoglobin. So Mark, perhaps I could sort of hand over to you to get your thoughts on the management here. Is this what you'd consider fairly standard management for a patient, or does it deviate from uh, how you'd normally treat this patient?
1: Yeah, th- th- thanks, Rob. I think this is… Um... You know, a very high risk patient, you know, this is someone who is uh, 75, who has diabetes, multi-vessel coronary disease, obviously coming in with an acute coronary syndrome. And so, um, you know, very high risk. Um, I think appropriately, you know, treated with uh, um, percutaneous intervention. And then the medical therapy, I think, is is quite good. I mean, using uh, dual antiplatelet therapy with a potent agent. Um, you know, I think adding dapagliflozin given uh, diabetes and what we know about um, you know long-term outcomes in patients with established coronary disease, and then atorvastatin. I, I suppose I might just question what what her LDL was, um, and then you know whether there was an opportunity to in- intensify lipid lowering. Manage- uh, lipid lowering, but otherwise, I think um, she was appropriately treated and a very very high risk individual.
0: Yes, good point about lipids. So she had her atorvastatin increased to 80 milligrams and then would have follow-up uh, of her LDL cholesterol at, at one month. So there's this question of pretreatment. Um, so in this case, we pretreated with ticagrelor. Um, it, what's your sort of take on that? Because it's been quite a controversial uh, topic of, uh, of late.
1: Well, it's a great question. I think it's a debate at every major conference, and obviously there've been you know several trials that have looked at this. You know, I, I guess my uh, take in our practice is that for patients um, that are going quickly to the cath lab uh, with the same you know in the same day or the next morning if they come in in the evening, we, we generally don't pre-treat because the the time opportunity for benefit is relatively short, and, and there is some risk. However, for patients that are going to be transferred or they're going to wait several days to get to the cath lab, it's reasonable to pre-treat. I think the things that would give me pause would be, is she at high risk of bleeding? And I don't see any markers of high risk of bleeding. She has a normal hemoglobin, which you know is a potent marker. And then I guess the other question is, what is the likelihood that she would need bypass surgery? Although I think you know there, there are other strategies to deal with that, she she may, um, being, having diabetes, been at heightened risk of that, but I'm not sure that would stay stay my hand. So I think pre-treatment is personalized uh, and probably best applied to the patient who's going to wait a few days uh, before intervention.
0: Thanks. Yes. So, I mean, I guess in terms of bleeding risk, she's 75 uh, and female. So I guess those are a couple of uh, pointers towards uh, increased bleeding risk. But as you point out, she's, she's not anemic. Uh, and uh, I should add that there's no hosp- previous history of hospitalization for bleeding, uh, which as, as you've shown in Pegasus is an important uh, factors for determining the risk benefit profile of dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, I, I think uh, I agree, it's really a matter of timing. You know, sort of UK practice is to pre-treat generally. Uh, Ticagrelor's reversibility uh, gives uh, The option of washout within three to five days prior to bypass surgery if that proves necessary after invasive coronary angiography. And and often patients take that time for sort of work up towards surgery in the UK rather than going very rapidly. But I think in centres where you can get a patient straight to the cath lab, uh, ideally from the emergency department, having done the sort of blood testing, and then get a diagnosis, decide on treatment and if there's an option to go for surgery then the next day or so then no pre-treatment gives benefits in terms of efficiency of treatment and avoiding unnecessary leading risk in those who prove not to have a coronary thrombotic event. I guess in this case there's sort of a number of risk factors and troponin increase which make it likely that this is going to be a coronary thrombotic event but of course we know that there's exceptions to that rule including Takasubo cardiomyopathy and um, type 2 myocardial infarction in the context of other um, diseases. So I guess the sort of big question really in the case of this lady is how long are we going to prescribe aspirin and ticagrelor in, in combination? What's your thoughts on that? Thanks, Rob. Yeah,
1: I think it's a hot topic and there's so much data and I I think it is a bit confusing. You know, I I guess I would start with the notion that she's ruptured a plaque and that, um, you know, in in almost every data set, those patients who come in with true acute coronary syndrome remain at long-term heightened risk of recurrent atherothrombosis and that puts her in a different category for me than the elective PCI patient. She also has uh, multiple ischemic risk factors, age, diabetes, multi-vessel disease, and her anatomy concerns me with a proximal LED lesion. So, you know, um, for me, this is someone that that I think has long-term atherothrombotic risk. It's modifiable with a more potent long-term strategy. Now, as you noted, given her age and being female, you might worry about bleeding, but but those also are things that are associated with risk. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily want to Treat her differently for that, and be, that she hasn't had a bleed before, and her hemoglobin's normal. I think a strategy of longer-term uh, antithrombotic protection probably would be what I favor. Um, so I, I would consider her, you know, certainly for for 12 months of DAPT. Um, but after 12 months, I think you know, provided she's tolerating therapy, I think long-term um, uh, uh, aspirin to CAD would be reasonable. Obviously, with if within the first 12 months. If there are an issue. You could try a lower dose of ticagrelor, or you know, there are data for dropping aspirin. I think P two Y twelve inhibition really is critical in her. Um, but I think she, you know, if she were tolerating uh, at twelve months, I would consider long term therapy. What What do you think, Rob? What What would be your take for that?
0: Well, I think this is a very challenging area because I think I, I completely agree with you. She's got uh, a high long term risk. That risk is not going to go away. Um, But on the other hand, she does have these factors that increase the risk of bleeding. And data from a number of the ticagrelor monotherapy trials now showing that you can drop the aspirin and uh, thereby reduce the uh, rates of bleeding. But the data suggests that that's not uh, the cost of increased ischemic events at least in the broad population of patients that have been entered into those trials. Now, then we have the question, do those trials represent, you know, sort of some of the higher risk patients that we're seeing in clinical practice, perhaps such as this lady with multivessel disease and diabetes? I think there's a little bit of uncertainty there. It's clear that modern PCI has really transformed the prognosis of these patients who are treating the culprit disease with modern PCI techniques, well-implanted stents um, seem to heal within three months uh, with very little stent thrombosis risk after that. So we're sort of moving away from treating the stent thrombosis risk, um, which evaporates within that three-month period, it seems, um, and considering the treatment of there's a non-culprit disease that's not been stented uh, in the context of the other risk factors. Now, this lady does have the diabetes and multivessel disease, much of which has not been treated, um, and so that puts her at heightened risk. Is this a lady who's suitable for ticagrelor or monotherapy? I think that's certainly an option, and as you say, if she's not tolerating dual interpolated therapy, then that would certainly push you in that direction. We do have meta-analysis of the tic monotherapy trials suggesting, particularly in women, that, um, you know, there may be reduced mortality with monotherapy. Now, what the mechanisms are for that are not absolutely clear. I mean, certainly, if you reduce bleeding, then you may reduce the sequelae of that, including cases where people stop all the antiplatelet therapy at a time when someone's bled and is having a pro-inflammatory, pro-thrombotic response that may lead to an increase in thrombotic events uh, and lead to increased mortality. Fatal bleeds, fortunately, are rare uh, as long as you exclude patients with high bleeding risk conditions. Uh, And this lady didn't have any history of those. So so I think there's a lot of uncertainty there. But a lot of data now suggesting ticagrelolomal therapy may give a favorable balance between efficacy and safety. But I think it's important to stress that when you stop aspirin, you reduce the level of platelet inhibition, which is why you get less bleeding. And there is the potential uh, for more thrombotic events with that strategy, even though the trial evidence, you know, is reassuring in that regard. So I think there is uncertainty here. Um, And one can argue in this case for either long term aspirin ticangrelor or for dropping to ticagrelor monotherapy at three months. And of course, there are other de-escalation strategies that one can try. The nice thing about de-escalating by stopping the aspirin is it's very predictable about what will happen to platelet function. Whereas if you switch, say, from aspirin and ticagrelor to aspirin and clopidogrel, then a 30% of the patients will continue with a similar level of platelet inhibition. Because they're high responders to clopidogrel, and thirty percent of patients will have a substantial de-escalation. Because they're poor responders to clopidogrel, and you'll be left with mainly the aspirin effect. So, so there's an unpredictability when you change from ticagrelor to clopidogrel as to what your change in platelet inhibition is going to be. Do you think um, you know what would you feel uncomfortable about ticagrelor monotherapy in this uh, lady at three months?
1: Yeah, thanks, Rob. There's a beautiful summary of of the complexity of the data. Yeah, you know, I I think the the trials that have investigated that are pretty convincing. I mean, the point estimates for ischemic events, you know, they look pretty reassuring for risk. That being said, not really powered for that, and there's an upper confidence interval. There might be a price to pay for for dropping aspirin. Um, so, so I, I guess I'd be comfortable. Um, I might favor a dual approach for, for 12 months and then maybe drop it later, given all of her risk factors. But I certainly think it would be reasonable to drop Aspen earlier. You know, as you said, I I would be less comfortable, um, or I'd be actually quite uncomfortable with pedigree monotherapy, um, given that about a third of patients like her would be completely unprotected, you know. De-escalating to DAPT with clopidogrel, that I think doesn't make sense because again, as you said, about a third of patients won't respond. And I think aspirin is really the bad actor for bleeding. So if bleeding is your concern, dropping aspirin makes the most sense. But then you, you want to make sure you're using an agent that's predictable. So so I I think I could support either either one. My my personal bias might be to, con- to, to continue DAPT a bit a bit longer for her um unless there were a tolerability issue but i think it'd be very reasonable as you outlined to drop
0: aspirin you know in three to six months of course then if we go for the dap strategy the question is how long i mean pegasus was three years uh, and so you know the regulators suggested there was little evidence for continuing beyond three years of course that's three years after an initial one year of Ticagrelor, 90 milligrams, then continuing three years of Ticagrelor, 60 milligrams. Do you think we should stop at that stage? Or if you've decided someone's high-risk, needs long-term DAPT, carry on whilst it's tolerated? You know, it's a great question, Rob, I and mean, I think we
1: certainly shouldn't think mm-hmm. trials, you know, end at two to three years, and, and obviously the data for aspirin also, you know, about two-year data. That their risk goes away. In fact, a patient like this only increases their ischemic risk. I think then, you know, the question becomes over time: what is the tolerability of, of the regimen? And, and people change over time. They develop other problems. And, and, and so I think reevaluating DAPT makes sense as we do when patients follow up. But I certainly wouldn't plan to just de-escalate on the basis of time because her risk will only go up with time. Uh, and, and I would, you know, work very closely with this patient in terms of shared decision making around the, um, the duration. you know, I do think that the the de-escalation to uh, tocalar monotherapy, you could do that at two years or three years as well. That doesn't have to it doesn't have to be dropping p 2 y 12 In fact, that's probably not what I would do in this
0: case. So just to wrap up on that discussion, so we've got this question of pretreatment versus wait for the angiogram and we've discussed how that depends on the sort of local setup in terms of time to getting to the cath lab and the provision for surgery if patients have surgical disease. We have the question of what to do at three months, whether to continue dual therapy or or have the option of ticagrel or monotherapy from that time point and that may be influenced by whether or not someone is tolerating dual therapy in terms of he- any hemostatic problems and not to forget beyond antiplatelet therapy the other secondary prevention therapies that we can use to drive down ldl cholesterol improve glycemic control use of sglt2 inhibitors to improve prognosis in diabetes patients and optimize blood pressure management so i'd like to thank you all for your time medthority would like to thank our listeners for joining us today and don't miss the next episode as Dr. Mark Banaka and Professor Robert Story discuss another patient case study.